captures your heart with awe, what astonishes you, leaving you in stunned silence. In this fast-paced world, we are continually flooded with messages that claim to change our lives or take our breath away. But when was the last time you were really moved to breathless wonder? When was the last time you experienced something so big, so glorious, so mind-numbing that you could only say, but how? The story of God, the story of the gospel, is a beautiful, inexplicable mystery. It's the story of a hero who would come to rescue us from our darkness and pain and despair. It's the story of a father who would never stop loving his children. It's the story of a warrior who would conquer the greatest enemy we have ever known, death. It's a story that should move us to cover our mouths and lift up our eyes. We know what Christmas is about, how God sent his son, not with riches or power, but in weakness and in poverty. The mighty God of the universe the one who spoke the sun and moon and stars into being with a word, entered our world as a baby, frail and small, born in obscurity under Bethlehem skies. Do you know why? Why did God, this hero, this father, this warrior, why did he come? Why would he come to earth in weakness? Why would God leave heaven? Why would he die upon a cross? 
because he loves you. God loves you. A God who has everything regarded us as so precious, so dear, so cherished, that he was willing to trade the glories of heaven for a life of pain and a shameful death, simply because he wanted to be close to us. He didn't want heaven without us. He didn't want heaven without you. As we peer into the Christmas story, we see God's immeasurable love unfold in the birth of a tiny baby, our crownless, swaddled king. They would call this king Emmanuel. God has come to live with us. He came as a hero to rescue you. He came as a warrior to fight for you. He came as a father who longs to know you. I can't explain it, but it fills me with wonder.
started. Shout! You better let it shine. Glory. 
There's a movie that comes on around the same time every year, A Charlie Brown Christmas. You may have seen it, but if not, there's a line in the movie that says, Christmas time is here, happiness and cheer, fun for all that children call their favorite time of year. For many of us, this is our picture of Christmas, happiness and cheer for everyone. I mean, shouldn't it be? Isn't that what Christmas is all about? Before answering that question, and before painting a picture that's supposed to fit into everyone else's frame, let me stop you, because Christmas ain't the same for everybody. Last Christmas, I experienced something that allowed me to see a reality that sadly many of us have ignored. It was Christmas Eve when I was here at the Durham Performing Arts Center one of the nicest facilities in the city, at a service much like this one, one full of love and good cheer. As I packed up to leave and stepped outside, I looked up and saw a young man looking down at me, for he was in the Durham County Jail. But what happened next astounded me. He took a small sign and placed it through his jail window that said, Merry Christmas. Mm. Wow. How thoughtful was he about my Christmas, but I, free man, never even considered his prison cell. As if I had lost all awareness of others. It was in that moment that my heart began to break. See, Christmas ain't the same for everybody. For a season that's supposed to be about joy, unity, and love for our fellow man, I wonder how many of us have grown insensitive to those around us. Stop and look around. Seriously, stop, look around, make eye contact with each other. Some of the very ones that you're looking at right now are hurting for someone. They're hurting because they may have lost someone around this same time some years ago. Some of them are hurting because they may have lost someone sometime this year. Some of them are hurting because they have absolutely nobody to celebrate Christmas with. Some of you are hurting because on the outside you're happy, but on the inside you know that you're tired of keeping up in appearance. It's kind of like that house that you see decorated every Christmas season the one with the beautiful Christmas lights and the decorations in the lawn? Well, what would happen if you were to step on the inside of that house? Are there rooms that are empty? Are there things inside of that house that are broken? On the inside of that house, it could be as cold as winter. This Christmas certainly ain't the same for everybody. 2016 has been a hard year in America. We've seen our country divided. We've seen that we have not come as far as we once thought. 
I wonder, in our pursuit of the American dream and in all of our busyness, have we even stopped to mourn with those who've lost a loved one this year? In all of our busyness, have we even stopped to grieve with those who faced injustice? See, for some of you, excuse me, for some of us, this will be the first Christmas without that spouse, that mother, father, son, or daughter. See, Christmas ain't the same for everybody. So here's my question to you. When's the last time you came to downtown Durham or maybe even went to a Durham Bulls game or have even come here to Christmas at Deepak? And have actually looked across the street. Have actually prayed for those across the street. Have actually mourned with those across the street. Have our lives become so busy that we have no room left in it to think about the least of these? No. Christmas isn't the same for everybody, but it can be. It's what the Apostle John says in his Gospels when he says that God would send someone to be the way, the truth, and the life. That God would send someone into the darkness and brokenness and chaos of our lives. That God would send someone to bring hope to the hopeless. That God would send someone to bring freedom to those who are captive. It is he whom we celebrate this Christmas season. It is God's beloved Son, Jesus Christ. This Jesus would live, die, and rise for all who would believe in him. This Christ would become a safe place for all people. For those who are celebrating. And for those who are suffering. For those who are overflowing with joy. And for those who are wrecked with pain. See, through Christ, he will make all things new. So... For some, Christmas may be different. For those who have put their trust in God, we have a reason to rejoice in the coming of Jesus together.
comfort and joy.
right after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to a couple of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. The story is recorded in Luke 24. It says he began to explain to them, beginning with Moses and the prophets, how every story in the Old Testament had pointed to him, something some at church we have spent the last greater part of last year studying together. He was trying to give his disciples confidence that he really was who he had said he had been. Now you would have thought that the resurrection by itself would have been enough to convince them, but evidently Jesus believed it would be even more convincing to show them that every single page of a book written by 30 different authors over 1,500 years had consistently told one story, and it was all about him. He was, he claimed, the center of everything that God had been doing since the beginning of time. Now, we don't know exactly what it was that he said that day, but I imagine it would have sounded something like this. In Genesis, I am the word of God creating the heavens and the earth. In Exodus, I'm the Passover lamb whose blood is sprinkled on the doorposts of your heart so that you could escape the bonds of slavery. In Leviticus, I am your temple, your holy place to meet with God. In Numbers, I'm your ever-present guide. I'm your pillar of cloud by day, your pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, I was the coming prophet who was greater than Moses. In Joshua, I was the conquering warrior leading my people into the promised land. In Judges, in the book of Judges, I was the broken savior rising up to rescue my people. In 1st and 2nd Samuel, I was the pure-hearted shepherd king rushing out to face your giants all alone. In Ruth, I was the kinsman redeemer. In 1st and 2nd Kings, I was the righteous ruler. In 1st and 2nd Chronicles, I was the restorer of the kingdom. In Ezra, I was the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, I was the rebuilder of the walls. In Esther, I was your advocate risking my life to restore you to royalty. In Job, I was your living redeemer. In Psalms, I was the one hearing the cry of your hearts. In Proverbs, I was wisdom personified. In Ecclesiastes, I was the meaning that lets you escape the madness. In Song of Solomon, I was your lover and I was your bridegroom. In Isaiah, I was the wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, the prince of peace, wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities. In Jeremiah, I was the spirit who writes God's laws on your heart. In Lamentations, I was the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, I was the river of life, bringing healing to the nations. In Daniel, I was the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, I was the ever-faithful husband pursuing his unfaithful bride. In Joel, I was the restorer of all that the locusts had eaten. In Amos, I was your burden bearer. In Obadiah, I was the judge of all the earth. In Jonah, I was the prophet cast out into the storm so that you could be brought in. In Micah, I would be the everlasting ruler born to you in Bethlehem. In Nahum, I'm the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, I am your reason to rejoice even when your fields are empty. In Zephaniah, I am the great reformer. In Haggai, I'm the cleansing fountain. In Zechariah, I was the pure son who I said one day every eye on earth will behold. And in Malachi, I was the son of righteousness rising with healing in my wings. Ah, but the Bible continues in Matthew, he was the king of the Jews. In Mark, he is the son of God. In Luke, he was the savior born to us in the city of David, Christ the Lord. In John, he was the word made flesh dwelling among us. In Acts, he is Christ the risen Lord proclaiming salvation to the nations. In 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he is the spirit at work in the churches. In Romans, he is the great justifier. In Galatians, he is the righteousness imputed to 
to us by faith. In Ephesians, he is our righteous armor. In Philippians, he is God who meets our every need. In Colossians, he is the firstborn of all creation. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is coming to meet his people in the air, descending from heaven with a shout. In First and Second Timothy, he is the only mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is our faithful pastor. In Philemon, he is our redeemer who restores us to service. In Hebrews, he is our great high priest. In James, he is the life and work in our faith. In 1st and 2nd Peter, he is the living cornerstone rejected by men, but exalted by God. In 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, he is the advocate pleading his righteousness in our place. In Jude, he is God, our Savior, the one who keeps us from stumbling and presents us faultless in his presence with great joy. And in Revelation, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it's always only ever been about him. It's always been about him. The Apostle Paul said, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven on earth, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or rulers or dominions or authorities, all things were created through him and all things were created for him. Before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the church, his body. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might be preeminent. He is the center. If you believe that, put your hands together and let's worship the beauty and the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy. Father, we give you praise. We give you praise. I have one question for you. One question for you this evening. He is the center of the Bible. He is the center of the universe. The question is, is he the center of your life? You see, the Bible says that God created us for us to make him the center of our lives. And at first, I realize that for some of you, that may strike you as self-centered. Why would God want to be the center? But think of it like this. It is a good thing for us that the sun, not the earth, is the center of the solar system. Because the sun is 30,000 times bigger than the earth. And scientists tell us that if the earth were at the center of our solar system, it would never have the gravitational ability to hold the rest of the solar system in orbit, and we would all die. Therefore, if the sun were a person, the most loving thing the sun could do would be to keep itself at the center, and so it is with us and God. You and I were designed to live and thrive when God was at the center of our lives, the center of our lives. Let me tell you a quick story. The Bible says that God created us, God created the universe, as a demonstration of his glory. With the tip of his finger, he flung galaxies into existence. With the word of his mouth, he created sunsets and rivers and mountains. And then at the very end, he made his crowning creation, the human race, in order to be able to enjoy that glory with him and to celebrate it with him. But then just before it was finished, he did the unthinkable. Before he added the final stroke to this masterpiece, he took the paintbrush of his creation and he handed the brush to us. And he said, I want you to paint in the center of this creation. I want you to decide who ought to be the center. I want you to decide who ought to make the rules. Now you say, well, why would he do that? Well, it's because God knew what every person who has ever been in love knows, and that is it's only love when the person that you love freely chooses to love you in return. And so he handed the paintbrush to us to let us make the choice, and we, we did the unthinkable. We took the paintbrush, and instead of painting God in the center, we painted in ourselves. 
We said, God, I don't think you ought to be in charge. I, I want to be in charge. I don't think you should be the point. I don't think it's about your glory. I want to be the point. I want to make it about my glory. And ever since then, every son or daughter born to the human race comes into the world, born into the world with the intent to make it all about them. That's why, like I would assume all of you parents, one of the words I never had to teach my children is the word mine. Mine. I never had to send them to selfishness school or me first camp. They got all that honest from their mother. No, no. I'm kidding about that, of course. They didn't have to learn it from anybody. It came natural to them. They, they came into the world saying, my needs are the ones that are most important. I should be in charge. I'm the one who knows best. Dad, I don't care what you say. Those three little, little holes in the wall look like they're designed for a fork. And so I'm gonna put a, try, to fork, try to put a fork in it. You don't know what you're talking about, Dad. I'm the one that knows best. Now, of course, we get a lot more sophisticated as we get older, but the basic outlook on life doesn't really change. We still think that we're the ones who know best for our lives. We still see ourselves as the most important. You can see that in a, as simple a thing as this. When you look at a picture that you're in, maybe a picture from last Christmas, there is one criteria by which you determine whether or not the picture is a good one, right? And it's how you look in that picture. Your sister could be cross-eyed, your dad could have his toupee falling off his head, but if you look good, well, then that's a great picture. Well, see, there's a pretty good metaphor there for our lives. It's all about how we're doing. We're really even self-centered in how we approach religion. When we get religion, we essentially, if you could summarize the prayer lives of most of us as basically, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. God, give me this and give me that and make everybody behave the way I need them to behave so that my life works out the way that it's supposed to work out. And God, pay him back for what he did and smite her because these people were making life difficult for me. And when God doesn't do that on the timetable we want him to do it on, we get self-righteously irate. Hey, God, what's wrong with you? God, don't you know what's going on? Don't you know that I'm the point? Don't you know this is all about me? It's about my needs, God. What are you doing out there? And eventually, if God doesn't get on board, then we threaten him with disbelief. I'll show you, God. I'll just quit believing in you. I'll deprive you of my faith and worship. That'll teach you. You'll learn to act better. Putting ourselves at the center rather than God is what the Bible calls sin. In fact, I, I, this is the way I would always teach it to my kids. It's you understand the word sin based on how it's spelled. S-I-N, the middle letter, interprets the word. It's when I want to be at the center instead of God. It's when I want to make the rules instead of God. And the Bible says it's something we're all born into the world guilty of. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the effects on us were spiritually devastating. The Bible says the effects of sin were death, just like our solar system would spiral out of control if the earth were at the center. Our lives spiral out of control when we're at the center. We start to feel hollow and empty because we weren't designed to be satisfied in ourselves. We were not designed to be our own Lord and Savior. King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in our hearts, which means that we can only be satisfied by a relationship with the eternal God, not by pursuing our own will. Blaise Pascal, the philosopher, famously said, he said, every human being comes into the world with a gigantic hole in their heart, a vacuum. And we spend all of our lives trying to figure out what goes in that hole, but nothing we try ever works because that hole is in the shape of the eternal God. Many people, when they discover that missing part of their life, they assume it's romance. If I could just find that special person, then romance would meet the deepest needs in my heart. As a pastor who's now observed marriages for many, many years, I can tell you something with absolute certainty. Lonely, insecure single people become lonely, insecure married people. In fact, they usually get worse. 
Because at least when they were dating, they had the illusion that one day when they got married that it would make all their dreams come true, but, but you get married and you get disabused of that notion. In fact, I would describe a lot of dating relationships like um, uh, you got a, a guy or a girl floating in a sea, drowning in a sea of loneliness and despair, and along by, if it's a guy, along by floats a five foot three brunette life preserver. And what does a drowning man do to a life preserver when it comes by? He jumps on it, he clings to it, he suffocates the life out of her because she was never designed to meet those needs in, him, in, in herself. Lonely, insecure single people become lonely, insecure married people because problems like loneliness and insecurity are not to be cured by another human being. You have eternity in your heart. It can only be cured by the love of God. Job security, job success won't do it. I read an article in Forbes magazine by a very successful CEO of one of the leading companies in America who said, I've spent my entire life climbing the ladder of success only to get to the top and discover it's leaning against the wrong building. The respect of other people won't do it. Some of you have been down this path, but spending your life trying to gain other people's approval. It leaves you fearful and insecure, always wondering if people like you. Family won't do it. As awesome as family is, family disappoints us. And some of you are reminded of that, especially at Christmas time. I don't mean to create an awkward situation for you sitting on the road where you are, but your whole goal over the next few days with your extended family is simply that nobody goes to jail. Right? And of course, eventually, even in the best families, we, we can't stop the separation that, that death brings. None of those things provide the security and eternality we crave because the gap in our heart is the size of the eternal God. So we were left spiritually empty and we were condemned because we had committed the greatest act of cosmic rebellion imaginable. We had stolen the authority and glory of the Creator and we had took it to ourselves. And God could have left us there. He would have been fully just and righteous in doing so, so that we could experience the fruit of our rebellion eternally, to spiral into oblivion, to perish apart from him eternally. But the Bible says that God is a father, and he is rich in mercy, and he didn't want us to perish eternally, that he so loved the world that he would come himself in pursuit of us. And see, that's what Christmas is about. Your sin, you see, had incurred a penalty, and that penalty was death, and Jesus came to bear that penalty. That's why he was born as a baby, because he had to live the life that you and I were supposed to have lived. And then he would die the death that we'd been condemned to die in our place so that he could take the curse of death in our place. Sometimes people don't understand that part of the the Christian message. They say, well, I understand the need to have God in my life, but what's the big deal about Jesus? Why, Why Jesus? The why Jesus is because God is just and he has built the universe on justice. And justice has to be repaid. Justice demands the guilty be punished. You agree with that? I mean, think about how angry we get when we see someone who is guilty get off scot-free. If you've ever watched a, a court proceeding where you know that somebody that's guilty goes off without being punished, maybe that was O.J. Simpson or maybe it was George Zimmerman. It makes you angry because you know that justice matters. God is just, and cosmic injustice has to be righted. The greatest injustice was what you and I, the offense that we committed against God. And so justice had to be restored, and there's really only two ways that can happen. You and I can pay for that eternally by being separated from God, or Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, could come and he could bear that penalty in our place, and that's exactly what he did. And now he offers himself that sacrifice as a gift, he said, to all who will receive it. That's why, by the way, that the first Christmas, Jesus chose to appear first to shepherds. You know, it didn't didn't make sense on the surface. Why would Jesus, if he really was the, the ruler of the world, why would he come and appear to shepherds? 
Why not appear to the rich and powerful and the, the religious? Why not appear to them? Why would he choose the poorest of the poor? You see, shepherds in those days were, were considered to be the off-scouring of society. They were so despised, their testimony would not even be accepted in court. We have these, you know, kind of um, sentimentalized view of, of, of what Jesus' birth was like with the, you know, the swaddling clothes and the lights and the shepherds, and it smelled like cinnamon probably. He was born in a feed trough. It smelled like urine and manure, and the shepherds were dirty. They were basically homeless people that showed up at Jesus's entry into the world. Listen, get your mind around this. Jesus could have come to the rich. He could have very easily come to the religious rulers, but he chose to come to shepherds because that's what Christmas, that's what the gospel is all about. The gospel is a gift for those who recognize before God that they are shepherds, that they have nothing. You say, well, why would God do it this way? Why not set it up so that he rewards the righteous? Why not set it up so that it's a, 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 something you can earn? The answer is very simple. It was so that he could be the center again. You see, if we saved ourselves by our good works, then we would still see ourselves as the hero. We would be proud of our good works and we would remain the center of our lives. But see, if God chose to save us by his grace, which he did, then we who have been saved by that grace have to acknowledge that he is the center. And we would spend the rest of our eternities praising him for the grace that he showed, not the things that we earned. So see, to be saved, all that you need is need. The only thing that you can bring is empty hands. You have to know that you need forgiveness of sins. You have to know that you cannot provide it yourself. And you have to cast yourself in surrender on his mercy. You see, John, the apostle says it this way, as many as received him, received him. To them he gave the power to become the children of God to those who believe on his name. Receiving, it's like a gift, a gift that you would receive any other way. It's a, a choice you have to make to take it into yourself. You see, receiving is not performing. It doesn't mean that you become good enough and God accepts you. The gospel message is not go and do. The gospel message is receive what has been done. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't say, go prove yourself now. What he said was, it is finished. It is a gift that you now receive. It is a gift that he offers to all who will receive it. It doesn't mean that you suddenly become a lot more religious. A lot of people think that's kind of what, what happens. Oh, I'll just get more religious and I'll get more in church and I'll read my Bible and I'll pray more. Hey, you've probably heard this before, but going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It just puts you in a different location. You see, coming to, to Christ means, means there's a choice that you make to make Jesus the center of your life, that you recognize that he is the Lord, not yourself. You recognize that you can't save yourself, so he had to do it. My question for you this evening is, have you ever done that personally? Have you ever received that gift that he offers for yourself? Not as you get religious, but did you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior? You see, maybe coming into this Christmas, you're looking back on the last year and realizing that it's been a difficult year and there's been a lot of disappointment. And here's my question. Maybe, just maybe, do you see in this that God might have been trying to show you in his mercy that you're never gonna make it as the center of your own universe? that you're just not sufficient to be your own Lord and Savior. Maybe over the last year you've lost a job. Maybe your marriage is disintegrated. Maybe you're dealing now with a sick child. You feel overwhelmed by loneliness or some kind of personal failure. And maybe that's shown you for the first time in your life that you need something more. It's like a friend of mine likes to say, he says, sometimes God has to put you flat on your back so you will finally be looking the right direction. 
You see, I don't know your situation coming in here, but what I do know is this, you need Jesus. And at some point, you're gonna realize that you can't make it with yourself as the center of your life. I pray that it's now in life and it's not in eternity, but he is the center. Is he the center of your life? Have you ever trusted him and received him as your savior? That's the question that I wanna ask you. In fact, let me ask you if you would to bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me just ask you to consider this in the quietness there of your your own seat. Do you know for certain that you have received Christ as Savior and that you've surrendered to Him? Do you have a personal relationship to Him? If not, you can begin one right at this moment by an act of repentance and faith. Repentance means acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord, not you. Faith means receiving the gift that he's offered you for your own. Just right now, using the words of your heart, you can reach out and say, Jesus, yes, I need you to be my Savior. I surrender to you as my Lord. You see, Jesus says that if you do that, if you receive him, he will save you. And in that very moment, he will forgive all your sins, past, present, and future. He will make you a new creation. Now let me ask you, If right now you are making that decision to receive Jesus, I'm going to ask you to acknowledge that. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or sign anything, but I just want you to acknowledge that to yourself. I want you to acknowledge it to God, and I want you with every head bowed and every eye closed just to lift your hand and say, tonight I am trusting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior for the first time or for the first time that I understand it. Would you raise your hand all over this auditorium? Just lift it up for just a second and say, tonight I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. I see all over the place. Second balcony, third balcony. It's... Father, I pray for those whose hands are raised that are receiving Christ as their Savior. And I pray, God, that you would transform their lives. I know that you brought them here for this purpose. And God, we give you praise and thanks for what you're doing. Some of family, would you put your hands together in celebration for what we know God has done in these moments.
Let's worship together as a church, as one body. Make this our declaration tonight. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you. singing with us. Let's sing it. From my heart to the head. Jesus be Jesus be the it's all about you. All over the world. Can you lift your hands and sing that shit?
John chapter 1, John chapter 1 says, For all who did receive him, who believed on the name of Jesus, God gave him the right to become the sons and daughters of God. How many of you know that Jesus has done everything to save you? All you have to do is come. All you have to do is come. What's waiting for you are open arms. How many of you know that this Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords and he shall reign forever and ever and ever. And he's coming back soon to take us home that where he is, there we will be also. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. So it only makes sense that we'd sing something like this, church. For who can stop the Lord Almighty, just like that? Who can stop the Lord, oh, unstoppable one? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Sing it over the battle. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? I know there is no one. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Stop the Lord Almighty. Who can stop the Lord? I know death could not hold. 
figured it out by now. <laughs> we are about one thing here at the Summit Church. His name is Jesus. I knew everything that was going to happen and I'm still blown away. <laughs> He's the greatest gift in the history of the world. The greatest gift in the history of the world. We've received that. We've been given that. And so we want to be a people, a people that have been so incredibly blessed. We want to bless others 
And so right now, our teams are going to begin coming forward, and we're going to do just that. We're going to take up an offering right now, but let me tell you, not a dime of that offering is going to stay within the walls of the Summit Church. 100% of this offering is going to be given to a local Durham nonprofit called Justice Matters. 100% of this offering is going to be given to a nonprofit called Justice Matters. Justice Matters um, provides legal counsel for children and survivors of human trafficking. They work within local schools to provide education and training to staff and teachers on the issue. And so we serve a God who's been so incredibly gracious to us. And so we want to be gracious to those around us, right? That's right. That's what the gospel's about. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. I know for a lot of you, when Pastor J.D. had you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed at the end, you said that prayer. You, for the first time in your life, your eyes were open to the beauty and the majesty and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in your life. And so we are here. We want to rejoice with you. We thank God that you've been given those new eyes to see. And we would love to talk with you and rejoice with you and pray with you. Uh, maybe you're here and you just have questions about something that you've seen or you've heard. Um, our pastors and our prayer team and our staff will be in the lobby and the resource area as soon as you exit here in just a moment. And so just take a moment and step out there. We would love to pray with you, to chat with you, and to show you some next steps. I know for a lot of you, this might have been your very first Summit Church service. First off, I want to say welcome. And then second, I would love to invite you back to one of our regular services. They're almost exactly like this. Exactly like this. I mean, instruments coming from the heavens and all sorts of stuff. Just God kind of sends a different one every single week. It's just a surprise. And so I would love to invite you back. Now, next weekend is December 31st and January 1st. Happy New Year. We will not be having services next weekend, um, but we will be providing you with some fantastic resources for you, your friends, family, to worship at home online. Um, and then we will be reconvening the following weekend, January 7th and January 8th. And we would love to have you join us that weekend. You can find all that information about service times and locations on your handouts that you got on your way in. Um, there's service times and locations. You can also look at summitrdu.com uh, for worship at home resources, summitrdu.com. And then if you have any questions about um, any year-end online giving, summitrdu.com. This has been fun, hasn't it? <laughs> This has been fun, hasn't it? <laughs> it has. It's so much fun to have the joy that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. The name at which every knee will bow. So we leave here with joy in our hearts. Would you look up? <laughs> let it snow, let it snow, Summit Church. Merry Christmas. You are sent.
for sure, but Christmas is really oh so much more. It's good news of hope for the whole world because Christmas is Christmas! Merry Christmas, Summer Fest!